Welcome back to another special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. It's episode 90, and I'm your host, Bruce. And once again, I'm joined online by Lux. Lux, how are you now? I am doing good. And I am actually broadcasting live from the LGS office right now. Lovely. I love it. That's exciting. Good times. Um, so, yeah, no. Um, now, I gotta ask. What's the weather like down in Texas? It is actually certain to drop below the 50s. Oh, my God. <laughs> drop below in the yeah. 50s. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this tonight. It's minus 23 degrees Celsius. Uh, which makes it, uh, what? About minus 10 Fahrenheit for us here? Uh, now they are talking that with the wind chill, it's going to feel like minus 38, which would be minus 36 Fahrenheit. Hey, this is Texas. Anything below 60 is cold dust. <laughs> I suppose well, we just like put on, a, we just like on 60, we're like putting on a sweater. We're like, all right, it's chilly. All right. Um, there we are. Minus, oh, it feels like minus 36 Fahrenheit. That's like an absurd value. Oh my god. And of course, I'll tell Why you this. I live... I'm, like, I'm literally hoping that we do not have another winter like we did last year down here. Well, no, I appreciate that. Like, you guys are not equipped to do to deal with snow. Uh, I appreciate that much. And so, you know, I, I can absolutely appreciate that you're not, you're not gearing up for a big snowfall and... And the power power network to collapse, and you know, fresh water to be compromised, and everything else. And like, seriously, like, we're like, this, like, we're not supposed to be getting snow down here. Oh, I get it. I get it. I mean, like I am. Like I, you can it can snow all at once on me. I'm prepared. I got shovels and and coats and boots and mitts and whatever it needs. Like I, I'll get I'll get myself out of my. I got snow tires on my car. I'll get out. I'll be fine. So yeah, no issue there. But uh, I can appreciate in Texas, where that's not exactly how y'all roll, um, <laughs> it's a little bit of an issue, to say the least. So, um, yeah. But no, otherwise, you guys, you, you had good. First first full week back uh, to, 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 to normal life, and th- things are good? Yep. Good. Good, good, good. No, we're still kind of locked down here, and there's rumblings that they're going to extend our lockdown, so it's been... A bit of a tough go here locally. Um, I'm home every day with my two boys, and my girls are are able to go to daycare still. But I just think it's a matter of time before they they end up sick, and I end up not being able to teach. But anyway, yeah, it's a bit of a been a bit of a slog to say the say the least. And uh, I'm hoping the lockdown ends soon enough, and we can go back to more or less life life, life as normal. But People here are really concerned about Omicron and getting sick. So, you know, and I, from everything I hear, including you, uh, I would rather not get it if I can avoid it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah no like fun. That is so. this, like, that's an entire month I wish I could get back. I can only, I can only imagine, my friend. I can only imagine. Uh, all right. So here we go. We're going to start with some housekeeping stuff. All right. So don't forget, folks. If you like what you hear, you can check out our show each and every week on thelotuscouncil.com. 
Um, that means the podcast, but that means also you can find out the Discord and also other cool things. One thing I'm going to try and include more of is more of our deck techs. So after tonight's show, I'm actually going to record deck tech of the deck we brewed tonight on sh- on the show uh, to help get everybody. Uh, so you can not only go walk through it with us, but see it. And we'll try and upload that to our YouTube. It's a little something, something I'm going to add to what we do here in the podcast to add some, um, I don't know what you want to call it, some uh, some pizzazz to what we do. Um, but the Discord is still the best tool they have for the Um There's lots of great things going on there, lots of great conversations, uh, previews for, for new cards, and all sorts of other great things. Um, one of the best things, though, is setting up a webcam EDH game through Spelltable. And the people on the Lotus Council are super friendly and super accommodating. So if you want to play and you like to play um, EDH through webcam, uh, the Lotus Council is a great place to set that up um, with lots of people having a great conversation about what they expect to have each and every game. So, um, but yeah, come and see for yourself, thelotuscouncil.com. That's our home. Also, uh, remind you that this is episode 90 and with episode 90 we have a giveaway so uh whoa gave me a pack of time spiral remastered that i still have here at home and that i'm prepared we're going to be giving away to one lucky listener so stay tuned to the end of the show to hear how you can enter to win time spiral remastered was one of those sets locks from last year that was pretty cool that people didn't really we didn't really get a chance to to bust too much of it did we uh, no not really no, did you did you even get a chance to draft it at your store? I know, but I will mention one thing that they probably in haven't mentioned before in the show. Last year, around the time that the set released, Wo did a an unboxing, and he happened to pull a certain card that he did a giveaway for. And oh, is that the, the Tramagoyfi one? Yep. Yeah, yes, I remember that. You remember where you we were all excited. You wanted Tramagoyf. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. So for sure, yeah, no, for sure. So there's some really cool stuff in Time Spiral Remastered. So folks, um, stick around to the end of the show how you can be entered to win, for sure. Yeah, I had forgotten that you had won that through through that. Anyway, that's cool. I had also forgotten Tarmac Wife was in the set, although I don't know how I did that. But anyway, um, no, my recollection of Time Spiral Remastered was there was just not a lot of it opened. There really wasn't. Anyway, it would be cool to give a pack away. I'd only be a booster pack, folks, but it's free. So all you gotta do is check out the end. All right, are you ready for to get on with the show? Yep. All right, so we have garbage or great tonight, and tonight's garbage or great is the card Midnight Reaper. So two and a black for a creature zombie knight. Zombie is a relevant creature type in today's today's modern meta. So all right, so it says whenever a non-token creature you control dies, Midnight Reaper deals one damage to you, and you draw a card. So what do we think? Is this garbage or is this great? I'll wait to hear you out on this. Okay, I'm I'm coming down the opinion that this is this card is probably pretty good right now. Um, so the truth of the matter is that it is. Uh, first off, it is it is a relevant card because of the fact that it's um, a zombie, which right now zombies are zombies are big. Um, and so zombies f- figure prominently right now because of Will Health. Um, so yeah, so zombies are big. Midnight Reaper's got to be good. 
Also, anything that's going to draw you extra cards when you when when other non-token creature dies is going to be good. Um, sac like things dying for value, and you can get value off your death triggers. Uh, this is good. So things like Tesa, Takarlov um, are gonna are gonna love this sort of card. So I'm just looking. I pull up the EDH rec like stats for it. Some of the decks that it goes into it goes into it goes into like this. Almost seventy percent of will health decks are running this card. All right. So okay, that's a thing. But so are uh, you know of the remaining top ten commanders. Most of them are zombies. So Ghoulcaller, Gisa, Grimgorn, Grimgrin, Gisa and Geralf, Arena, uh, Abendeth, Dracolich, Timuret, Murder King. Um, like these are just all cards, all decks that are all about uh, all about zombies and care of all about care about zombies. And so you're you know you're including Midnight Reaper and you can't go wrong. Um, the body is. In Consequential, but you'll play this as a three-two that can maybe be a speed bump for something, but more importantly, uh, is going to allow you to like chain together a bunch of cards, get get some value out of your stuff, and uh, you know really and really dig in your dig into your deck for what you're looking for. I think ultimately you're going to find this is a pretty good inclusion on most decks. So I think it's I think this card is probably pretty good. So I think it's, I think it's great. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I can, can see what you mean. Well, I mean, you're either you're either in my camp or you decide everything is like you don't sound convinced that this card is good. Like well, I, I agree. Like it looks okay. a little it looks a, looks a little dirtily at as a three mana three two, right? Like it doesn't it doesn't aren't the type of stats that in commander gate make people go Jesus, look out, is it? Like it's just not scary. It, it, it can be they you know, when you, you know, use it in the right build, but like, this is one of those cards that I have literally not seen him play at all. And so I, mean, I don't really know how it would play out. Yeah, well, funny. So here's the story. I'm looking at it on, on EDH Rick. You want to guess how many decks do you think it's in? Plus or minus 5,000. Would say they, they somewhere they just under five thousand. Okay, what if I told you it was closer to twenty five thousand? Are you surprised at if it's at it's in twenty four thousand five hundred decks? And generally, I am surprised that that. Yeah. So very clearly, there's a lot, but I mean, there's a lot of zombie decks that are floating around, my friend. Like, so get this. So uh, it figures in. Uh, it figures into 83% of, or almost 84% of Ghoulcaller Gisa decks, 75% of Grimgrin decks, 70% uh, of Gisa and Geralf, 62%, uh, almost 63% of Verena decks. Uh, Timuret is playing at 54%. Like, Gisa Karlov is running at 61%. Like, all these decks are running, like, these are high numbers. Like, there's decks that are running, like, like cards, like, some creatures are not nearly this high. Like, so... Um, yeah, no, I am really the opinion like this card, like it's good when you look at it, when you read the stats, you think about it, um, in terms of it's 
what it plays in a deck, but then you think about like all the zombie decks out there, like this is everywhere. And, like this deck, like if you're playing a zombie deck, you're playing a Midnight Reaper, and there's just no way about it. Um, and the best part about it, like for the fact that it figures in twenty five thousand decks almost. Do you want to know its price? Go ahead. Seventy nine cents. So you're getting really good, really good bang for your buck. So it's like it's it's really affordable. It's really it's, it's a powerful effect. Um, I think this card, so I think this card on every metric is just is just a, is a slam dunk. This is the sort of card that you and I would love on this show if we're building decks that if we ever start building zombie decks like Midnight Reaper, like is probably figuring in there pretty prominently pretty quickly. Um, as just a way just to dig deep. So I think this card is pretty much ter- is pretty terrific. Um, and sort of the greater commander world seems to agree with us. So uh, Midnight Reaper, folks, 79 cents of zombie town goodness. Go and find them. Go digging in your, in your store's dollar bins for some Midnight Reapers. Lux, I think bottom, the bottom line is tomorrow when you get it, or after you're done the call here and you go and... Uh, Go and get get back in the store. Maybe you go digging in some uh, for some midnight reapers and see if you can't pop a few. <laughs> pay your store. Buy them, we'll do that. Pay your store back and buy the buy some midnight reapers. <laughs> All right. Okay. So let's move on to segment two. So after we've decided midnight reaper is pretty good, we're we'll talking about do content creators breed homogeneity of the format. And so, I don't know people how much how much attention people are paying on the weekend uh, to the discourse on Twitter. Which I get it, folks. I get it. You shouldn't be investing too much time and energy in what is said on Twitter because there's a lot of things that are said on Twitter, and not all of them are are let's say brilliant. Um, however, this was an interesting conversation that I sort of tapped into, um, and there was a lot of people who were bemoaning the relative homo- homogeneity homogeneity of the format. And there was there were a number of people who were laying the blame of that homo- homogeneity on content creators. I don't know if you noticed, Lux. I guess we technically qualify as a content creator, even though like there's very few people who listen to us. So does that we does that feel weird? Like when people talk about content creators, I guess we have to get included, even though I'm kind of the opinion that we're not really because our audience is so small. That's, does that feel weird? Like somewhat, yeah. Like it's so not like we're basically being grouped in with all those big names. Well, yeah, right. So, like, so I mean, there is an effect to like. So, here's my thought, folks. There is definitely impact when content creators that are large start playing cards. All right. So when the Command Zone or Saffron Olive or the more recently the I Hate Your Deck series or another any other big content creator out there starts running cards. Um, they re- some of these cards that might be you know sort of fringe or budget options really have attention drawn to them by virtue of these big time content creators talking about them. Like they display them, they discuss them, they draw attention to the cards. And I don't know if you've been following like if you do any finance stuff out there in the internet or you Lux at home. Um, like there's been number a number of instances where cards that have figured prominently on the command zone have seen a very dramatic spike in value because all of a sudden focus gets brought on some new card or some obscure card 
that people haven't seen and all of a sudden the card pops off and because the command zone and some of these other like these other accounts are getting not just hundreds of viewers or thousands of viewers they're getting hundreds of thousands of viewers like I'm pretty sure the command zone gets 200,000 views of almost every video they drop. So like, of course, if they're going to show something, 200,000 people are going to suddenly see that new interaction or that cool new synergy. And they're going to say, yeah, that's a thing. And they're going to go buy it. So there's no doubt like like content creators of that size do create homogeneity where, you know, when you, when you watch, Jimmy and Josh on the command zone play their fun new cards or their guests play cool cards and they get displayed prominently. You know, those cards are going to spike in value. I'm sure Craig Blanchett by himself has spiked a whole pile of infect cards because he's known as Mr. Infect, right? Like these are yeah. like, this is just, this is just what they do. And when that many eyeballs get on stuff. People go and buy them. They just, they do, right? Like, that's the thing. So, I don't think there's any, I don't think we can deny that there are content creators out there that are that are promoting and creating that hom homo homogeneity in the format. Lux, would you agree, disagree? Do you think I'm overstating the impact of people like Manzone or I Hate Your Deck and Saffron Olive and guys like that? I don't think, honestly, and I do feel like they have a really... Im Big, big impact because I mean, like, was it the command zone that and thing said something about like werewolves that caused prices to start going up when the like, midnight hunt came around? Oh, well, yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't just them, but like, yes, there was a werewolf or there was a Tovalar deck that that figured prominently on the game on game nights. Uh, and the total and Tovalar deck played very well, so that you know, it probably brought more hype and was already due like people were already excited for werewolves because we've been waiting now since the original Innistrad set to get a legendary werewolf worth a darn and suddenly we had one we could brew a cool deck even then it wasn't necessarily the hottest uh, the hottest deck to brew until the command zone and their and it was one of their guests actually who brewed up a tovalar deck and it fared really well <coughs> so all of a sudden what what interest there was is is amplified by a factor of well two hundred thousand eyeballs, and you know Tovalar becomes the top the top commander, and all the other ancillary werewolf business is a huge spike in in in, st in stuff too, and like it's going to happen again with Kamigawa here. Like we're going to be talking ninjas, and I know when the command zone does their game nights episode for Kamigawa, somebody's going to play a ninja deck. There's going to be a ninja deck. Those old ninjas from the original Kamigawa blocks are going to be like are going to see a huge spike because they're going to get they're going to get serious airtime on arguably the biggest channel for commander gameplay, really. So I don't know. Um, so I also think that there's been an influence to create homogeneity through um, places like EDH Rec. And as much as we use EDH Rec here as a tool, there's no doubt when we go and lean into EDH Rec to help us brew decks, EDH Rec like, then turns around and mirrors 
the what we use and represents it for other players to look at the statistics. And so individually, like if we go through our mock shield account and look at all the decks we've brewed, we're not going to see too many discerning patterns over what cards get played, what cards don't get played. But when they can scrape, you know, the data from all those websites, you know, they can say scrapping, scrap, uh, scraping, tapped out, and Architect, and Moxfield, and MTG Goldfish, and, and, and they're generating data in a way that commander players haven't really had access to until the advent of EDH Rec, meaning now we can go and see what people are playing and the choices are being really refined down to boom. These are the cards, these these are the best cards to be running. So I like I think as much as watching top content creators brew their decks is 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 a part. I think just seeing what the generally what the community is brewing um, through the lenses of EDH Rec and the statistics it generates has a huge impact on that that same homogeneity. But that's not a that's not on that's not on any one person. Like I and I don't think that any of us would ever recommend getting rid of the data the EDH Rec garners. Like Lux, Lux, would you want to go back to a time when EDH Rec does not exist and we have to brew our decks in the dark? I'll say no. No, no. Like we want, we want the options that EDH Rec affords us, and we then have to make this decisions. I'll come back to that idea in a bit, but um, you know, so there's that too. And then one thing, another thing. I don't know, Lux, if you've noticed, but there has been a proliferation of people that are out there making podcasts. Once upon a time, I think. There were really only a, a few podcasts each and every week, right? Like there was, you know, LR, there was a few others, but there weren't the proliferation of Commander podcasts or of, of Magic the Gathering podcasts that there are today. But now, if you go through Twitter and you find all the different content creators that are out there, there's a lot of people making content for Commander let alone the rest of the magic community, whether it's modern, standard, pioneer, alchemy, or whatever. There's tons of people out there making magic content. Like so much you can't you can't possibly consume it all in a week. And I think that plays a role too. I think it's not the moral role that everybody's talking about, but I think like there's just so many new people that are really putting a focus on the game that if you're a consumer of the game generally you're going to have so many lenses and things to put across in front of your eyes to help you judge what cards you want to build in your deck how do you want are you looking to go the cedh route route and play these decks boom 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 boom, boom. maybe you're looking to do like us and play like casual jake boom, 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 over here and you can find, come find people like us i don't know but there's lots of different commander uh, like content creators out there of all denominations that people can turn to for their data and i think that into in its own way is going to lead to some measure of homogeneity where whether like lux you and i like to admit it or not our decks on moxfield the decks we talk about every week are getting people like people are putting thinking about it and saying yeah that those guys know what they're talking about Mm, no maybe not i don't i don't like what they're doing maybe there's some guy out there that really likes our budget decks right like just all that's going to lead to more people emulating what we do or what Chris Martin over at Conviction Gaming does 
or Andy Fleury does over on the Guardian Project podcast, Guardian Project podcast, uh, and all those, you know, you know, you whoever listens to the new content creators is just going to absorb their thoughts and then it's going to be reflected back in their new decks. So I do think that to some degree, content creators do bear some responsibility for this perceived homogeneity of the decks. Um, Lux, any thoughts about content creators generally? Do you think that we've, like, do you think that the, the argument being made that we are a part of the problem is deserved? And honestly, and not really, because and at the end of the day, the people they they don't have to and they they don't have to listen. You're right. You're you're right. Like so, you're, at the end of the day, people have to be responsible for their own decisions. They don't have to listen to us if they don't want to. They could elect to do something else, uh, and 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 listen to other podcasts or listen to their friends and not choose to listen to us at all. So you're absolutely correct on that front. Um, and so people do have to bear some responsibility. If the format is starting to look the same all the time, why is that? Is it, and how much of how much responsibility is on the individual players? I would argue to that end though, Lux, when even us, we reach 30 players a week on our podcast. That's more than any one of us would reach on our own. Like we have a platform where we reach out to more people and, you know, people consume what we have to say. That's not to say all of them adopt what we do, but we're reaching out there and we're touching 30 30 players a week. I mean, sometimes more, sometimes less, but roughly around 30 people. And that, that is, that's not an insignificant person, like insignificant amount, because if we were on our own, we might only influence seven, eight, 10 people like people in our direct play group that we interact with. So I do think there is something to the content creators yeah. touching more players and influencing the way they think. However, there's some other things to consider here, Lux, I think. So I think there's also the thought that over time, um, we have seen formats optimize generally, whether it's legacy, modern, now we're watching pioneer, standard does it in a heartbeat, that this is just what happens. Formats optimize. And as we go, people, you know, exchange info. They, there's now improved metrics, greater attention and focus. And when you apply millions of players, Lux, millions of players, to, uh, the, and, and those individual card choices are reflected, not just in EDH rack, but they're reflected in TCG player. They're reflected in buying platforms where cards that people want for decks get snapped up and people vote with their wallets. They go, oh, this card is good in my whatever deck. And they buy it. They talk, they, they speak with their wallets. And so those, and that, all those card choices filter down to what's left of the format. And, you know, some people are early adopters of new technology and cool stuff. Others are slow to pick it up. And I think like that just, time and now more players being added to the format every day as people move to edh as this pandemic continues and deepens and the thought of in-person play is being put on the back burner i think there's just no doubt that there's like the format is going through essentially a growth period 
where millions of people are now, you know, actively engaged with the format and brewing, and you know, that, those millions of brains applied to this is is helping to solve the format. And as much as it's hard to to, to solve, quote unquote, the format of Commander, it's starting to happen. We're seeing homogeneity start to occur, where people go, this card, this card, this card, this card. That's your package for X, Y, Z deck. You know, it's being prescribed more and more. That's what the CEDH decks do. They prescribe what to play. And like Mike was talking about last week, if you want to play something that's not on those prescribed lists, you better have a damn good reason for it because because otherwise they're not going to believe you. So I do think that there is this 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 the sheer raw power of millions of players playing the game is leading us down this path of converging on the best cards because that's just what happens when millions of people apply their thought processes to the game. Like any thoughts there, Lux? Do you think do you think like I'm overstating the impact of like the growth of the player base? No, not really kissing I'll tell you this and thing. It seems like with every new in a set release at my LGS, like there are actually people coming in who are they this is the this would be their first time playing. They are actually expressing interest in playing the game. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think your store is a great example. You see those guys come in the store and they go, I want to get into the game, but where do I start? My friend says I should go get a pre-con. And then he says, go buy this list of 10 cards. Well, now you've got a brand new commander player who's going to be in the game, and he's now he's going to be evaluating what's going to happen. And it may take him six months, a year, two, five, ten, who knows, to get comfortable with what he's doing. But you're right. I think, I think you're, you, and you see it firsthand, walk through your door and spend money in your shop. So absolutely. I think there's something else. Yeah, because they remember they what they pre they pre COVID and they there was a thirteen year old who came in they he had gotten a hundred dollar bill and from his grandfather for his birthday and they he expressed interest in the commander format so and they they and I basically went through like each of the colors like what they were all about what they did they, he decides to pick out an Orzhov and a and a and a color combination. So, and I help him build, brew an Orzhov, an extort deck. Get this. They, during his first FNM at that store, they, there was this one guy who was running an Ur-Dragon deck. He was basically un, like, undefeated in FNM. And this kid beats him. Ah. He beat him with an Orzhov. Yeah, he beat him with an Orzhov extort deck. Well, hey, fun. That's, that's, that's a great story of your 13-year-old kid. And you come in and you beat a, you beat a table of established players. But yeah, there you have it. like a kid who's new to the game and like gets a little guidance and he's going to go back to that Orzhov deck and he's going to like, well, what can I do next time? How do I make this deck a little bit better? Because I wasn't great. That Ur-Dragon deck could have knocked me out if they had done this. You know, I, just, just, I just think there's a lot of thought process and the more players join the player base thinking about it, it's just going to lead us to converge on those cards for certain themes. Like, I think our format is too broad have it narrowed down on a consensus, you know, top 100 cards. But 
as various themes continue to be solidified, then the cards that are going to be optimal for that for, for that on them, and that's just going to happen naturally. I don't think there's anybody else talking about it. Like, I don't think I don't think any content creator is going to be the one driving it. I just think it naturally happens. So. Anyway, but I'm not done here yet, Lux. I think there's a third point to consider here. So I do think some of the homogeneity of the, of the game has resulted from the power creep that we've talked about here on the show before. That there was no doubt the cards that were printed back and revised are, for the most part, no longer relevant in Commander in most cases. There's a few exceptions. But like, Lux, when's the, next, when's the last time you decide you're going to play a Shivan Dragon? Um, like, not once have I ever even decided to play one. Exactly. That was really because it, it just isn't good enough, right? It just doesn't do enough. And so, when cards like that, that are like the older cards, are no longer deemed to be of a suitable powerful, suitable power level, that they even get consideration, we're narrowing the card pool. Right? I don't know where you draw the line. But I would say, I would wager somewhere around Scars of Mirrodin, most players lopped off what happened before. Sure, there are cards from before that stage that get played, all right? I know that. I'm not saying that all, all old cards are crap. That's not true. But generally, what we've seen over time is that the general quality of the cards has improved to the point where now... Maybe not, maybe not Scars Mirrodin, maybe Zendikar Block. But anyway, you get the idea. Like, there's a point where things before that don't get much consideration, but things after there are what gets adopted more regularly. And so we're, we, don't, we may have almost 30 years of cards to draw from, but we don't really, because we're really only talking about the last 15 years. And sure, that should yield a pretty large and, and broad card pool, but the truth of the matter is, we've just lopped the card pool in half. Like the like over half the cards of the card of the game are not suitable to be played in Commander in most cases because they just aren't good enough. Like our dear Shivan Dragon, like our Sarah Angel, like our you know fill in the blank with whatever card from revised Fallen Empires. Like these cards don't do it no more. So. You limit the card pool, you're going to lead to some measure of homogeneity for sure. Lux, any thought about the power creep of the of the format, like you know, driving this notion? And like it could be because and then, like, in the last couple of sets there have been some powerful cards and then been like made their way into decks, but and then, um, well, like, I think the answer is like, more than some. Like, truth be told, though, like truth be told, though, like I think. They in any format, you know, they I know that this is they mainly pertaining to standard, but they the biggest power creep set that I've seen during my time as a magic player, like honestly had to have come from New Phyrexia. Like seriously, they that set broke standard. Well, I think I well I would argue that I think we can do one better with uh, Throne of Eldraine. I think Throne of Eldraine pretty much puts standard on its ear. Um I and and consequently has influenced much of what's been going on ever since. Um, and don't remind me about the Autumn of Oko. <laughs> the Autumn of Oko. 
No, but not just the Autumn of Oko. I think the, you know, like the Fires of Inventions and all the things that come with that. So, um, you know, I'm looking through like just what we're seeing here in terms of like new cards that are popping up in um, in in play right now. So like you get things like Dig Up and Welcoming Vampire and Hallbreaker Horror. You know, the new Olivia is getting you know significant play. Um, Halana and Elena, which I think might be the the top commander from Crimson Valley that people aren't talking about. Like, she, they're number seven out of like, out of the sixteen they've got. I think they're they're terrifying, frankly. Whenever I see those two, like those two cards are terrifying. Um, I'm sorry, not char- two cards, those two characters. So, anyway, um, so I think ultimately to answer all the, how all these different forces interact. I think to lay the blame on the, on the feet of any one or, or group of co- content creators, I think is out fair, is unfair. Because I think there's more to the more to the discussion than just content creators are bad, they produce homogeneity, boo content creators. Because for every person like Jimmy and Josh on the Command Zone, or the guys on I Hate Your Deck, or you know, Saffron Olive and the Command Zone, sorry, no, I'm in the Commander that the mtg goldfish does or the guys at star city games or 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 um there's all a countless crew of of small time content creators that are actively trying to undo what they have or or respond to what those big content creators are out there doing like that's what we we do lux so i i don't think we are out here promoting the homogeneity what we're doing, we're responding to it because people say, oh, we will, you know, Josh and Jimmy spiked Vidalcan Orrery, which they did because Josh plays Vidalcan Orrery all the time. And okay, Vidalcan Orrery is a tremendous card. But you and I, so we, you, know, you and I don't build decks with Vidalcan Orrery, even though we could, but because of we, the constraints we put on ourselves, we end up having to, to, to try and undo this thought that you need to play with Vidalcan Orrery because you don't. There are other effects that allow you to play similarly. Whether you're playing Yeva of uh, Nature's Herald uh, to play, play creatures with Flash, or you're playing a, a Vivian, so your creatures with Flash, or you're playing um, Leyland of Anticipation, or, or, or all these other options that you can like lean into to produce this other method of playing. And... I think what we're seeing is like these small-time content creators, like Mike for last week was a great example. Uh, Chris Martin from Chicago Style Gaming, Andy Fleury. These are all relatively small content creators that are at it, and they're pulling at that this, this notion that content creators are like driving the price of expensive cards. We're trying to like wiggle, whittle, whittle away at it, try and make it a, make players have other affordable options. So I don't think there are, it's just content creators. I think we're in the process, I think we actively, Lux, are in the process of working against those big time content creators and looking for alternative routes to get to the same end result and, and maintain like what we, can, what we can do with our decks without spending the dollars that, you know, big producers have. All right. So we don't set the agenda, but we're out responding to it all the time. And we're trying to help players be able to be responsible with their wallet and still remain competitive. 
Does that make sense, Lux? It does. Oh, um, and you know, as for the format optimizing, I mean, what? Like 2017, 2018 is when there's been a like like Mike notice a big watershed moment with the power level of cards so here we are five years later and we've had a lot of new players and a lot of smart people of course decks over time with reduced card pools are going to result in powerful and improved decks like it's almost unavoidable and you know so yeah there is there is a this this convergence on powerful cards Old cards don't hold, haven't, you know, stand, stood up to the test of time. Um, so, of course, like, you really narrow down the pool of cards. Old cards are less less relevant than, they ever, than they've ever been. So, you know, I think that some of that is all playing into the idea that we have this format that is increasingly moving towards a point of homogeneity. Um, although the good news, I still think we have lots of flexibility in it to enjoy ourselves and have some fun um and and be unique and creative with our, our with our decks so and Hody, what are your thoughts lux what, what, on on the homogeneity of the of the format do you think we've do you think you and i are are fighting the fight against it yeah. well then we certainly speak out against it but something not much we can do when they are in the audiences and they kind of small. Well, it's true. Our, our influence is modest to say the least. And here's the, here's the catch 22. If we get large enough and people are going to turn around and point that, that accusation on us, that we're the ones that are driving the, the, the agenda on cards instead of responding to it. And, you know, I can go and say, no, 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 no. We're actually the ones we're the good guys. We're not making Vidalcan orreries be expensive, but then wait and see. I'm willing to bet in six months' time, Verity Circle isn't 15 cents like it is now. It'll be a dollar because we've talked about it and we've posted about it and we've included it in deck lists and so on and so forth. So anyway, stuff like that. So I don't. We sort of get caught in a catch-22 there that you you damned if you do and you damned if you don't. So Lux, let's put this to the test. Let's take our, our, our brewing hat, put our brewing hats on and brew something for you. Because I know we talked about it, we've talked about it a lot in the past. Let's brew Nathroy. Because we've been we've been you've been threatening yeah. to brew Nathroy for a while. Let's put our our multi content creator um you know, look into not play the big time staples and the homogenous cards that everyone's running. Let's try and put it to use. Let's try it with Deathroy. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. So now, Lux, let's talk about what is your what is your vision for a Nethroy deck? Like talk talk our audience through what is is what what sort of interaction does Nethroy make you want to 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 uh push to its full fullest extreme in order to make it and interesting for you as a player. Forget winning. What makes it interesting for you? Well, and they like this deck. Thing, it, like it's just fun. Like I know I've said this in the past, but I really like seeing the 
just the the salty and annoyed looks on my opponent's faces like when i do something crazy like i'm not even like like beating them like i'm just like flat out annoying them at this point okay so you're saying like like you want to see their faces when cards when they think they've got a firm firm handle on the cards on the table and then all of a sudden you make a gameplay you mutate nathroy onto something derpy and all of a sudden you've got your board state back right is that sort of the idea yep okay so you want to utilize the trigger of having this card come flying cards come flying out of the graveyard okay fair enough so as i was sitting there this week getting ready for the show i thought about okay obviously like if this is the direction lux wants to go we need to have a package of all the 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 good mutators in this in this set only appeared in icoria mutate has only been in one set um and the truth becomes this that you can play nathroy for five mana and mutate onto it or you can spend the seven mana and mutate Nethroy onto other creatures. I think in this guess we want to do it for we want to do it both ways, which means we need other targets, other ways to mutate than just running Nethroy. So, um, but we could have run just Nethroy as the single mutate option and really gone into the 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 really go into a like a graveyard synergy package where you're dumping things actively as hard as you can, and then. You mutate Nethroy onto one thing, bringing a whole pile of it back. But I think we would be better served to go and have a mute, be it, go the more mutate direction. Lux, do you think that sounds like a good plan to you? Yeah. Okay. So let's go through some of the cards that have a mutate on them that we might want to put in there. So Auspicious Sterics is, you know, probably the first one that comes to my mind as being a good mutator. Or the ability to flip permanence on the top of your deck. Lux, any thoughts? This is definitely a fun card. Okay. Boneyard Lurker. Another one as uh, kind of has a raise has a raised dead effect. Yeah? Is good? Yep. Cub Warden. This is the one that I believe makes kittens. When it comes into play, mutates on them. Yeah, you make one one white cat creatures. Seems good. A dirge bat, which is another one because it's going to kill things. Dirge bat is got is basically it's like a you destroy target creature opponent or, or or planeswalker and opponent control. So that's your hero's downfall attached to a creature. Um, we're gonna have gem razor as a way to deal with um, unfortunate uh, artifacts and enchantments. You're going to have Insatiable Hemophage. Yeah, Insatiable Hemophage. Where it's going to be a, a, like a drain, a drain life effect. Migratory Greathorn, which is your, your, um, your, your sort of ramp package or your ramp spell, which you can do a lot of, a lot of, a lot of good things with. Necropanther. Necropanther is another one. Um, do, 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 do. what else we have? Um, and Vulpakeet. Is that's going to give you th your thing flying? 
All right, so let's see how many mutators that is. That's nine, and with Nethroid, that makes 10. 10, 10 mutate creatures in your deck. Does that seem like enough to you, Lux? We don't have too many more options. Yeah, that we it does. Like we don't have too many more options. Oh, I forgot Glowstone Recluse. I missed one. Glowstone Recluse. Not that list. Yeah, so that makes 11. 11. So 10% of our deck. Glowstone Recluse. All right. I mean, we're kind of we're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel by the end here because we don't have too many more options that we can go and run. All right. So that's fair. Okay. Now, let's there's a there's a, there was another interaction that when we when we talked about Ikoria with with Judge Chris a long time ago that I haven't forgotten about and I still think is pretty funny is Scourge of the Skyclaves, which as much as it's not a mutator has a really interesting effect. Because this is the one that has where its power is and toughness are equal to 20 minus the, uh, the highest life total among players, meaning it can have negative values for its power, which can allow you to pull more things out of your graveyard if Scourge of the Sky is, is in your is in your bin, which sign it kind of sounds like 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 a fun time to me. So, what do you thought, Scott? There, if we put in Scourge of the Sky Claves, and like we're definitely get some value out of that one. Yeah, I think that's going to result in some other good, some other good business. Now, so Lux, here's the thing though: you've got a deck where you want to put things in your graveyard actively, right? And we need yeah. to find a way to put dump creatures and dump things into our graveyard in order to be able to utilize them. So, are there any cards that you come to come to come to mind, like right off the hop, as being useful ways for you to dump cards into your graveyard so that Nathroy will then have targets to pull out of its pull out of your graveyard when you mutate. Let's look at what we have in a just to do that. Like I'm I'm hoping you've got a stack of cards pulled out beside you here, my friend, and we can sort of sift through a few. Like one of my favorites, just to like can I just if I can, like one of my favorites is Seder Wayfinder. Like it's super easy to play. It's a little two drop. Um and Seder Wayfinder just does exactly what your deck looks at, looks for it to do. Dumps some cards in your graveyard, pulls you pulls you a land back out, and just is just a useful little card. So, so that's the sort of card I was thinking about. Are there other cards that you would like to play or that you could play that would sort of mimic what your Seder Wayfinder does, so that you have a re, um, a redundancy of such effects? There's another in a card and then. Like, I'll tell you this, like, back when Theros first came out, I remember like, the pre-release opening my first booster pack. Like, the first uncommon that I happened to pull from that booster pack was Nyxweaver. Nyxweaver. Well, that's Journey into Nyx, but yes, Nyxweaver for sure. Good card, too. I like that card a lot. It's a good good card. Um, so yeah, Nyxweaver is another one. Um, I also like Glowspore Shaman as a, as, a, as, a, as a useful way to do that. I think that's a pretty useful one. But there are other ways to do that. So my old brain was also going like that old dredge mechanic might be handy in this situation. So let's go get a Golgari Grave Troll. Seem good? Yep. Okay, Golgari Grave Troll. So audience, that one's a good one because um, Mr. Mr. Grave Troll will let us go and dredge six 
and put him back in our hand. So you can go and like dredge six, put six new things back at your graveyard, which may mean you get to go and do some gross things with um, with Mr. Nethroy in a moment or two. So yeah, um, so we've got Golgari Grave Troll. What else we got here? Um, I would argue you need probably some other few other utility creatures that go in here. I like. Like some creatures that help me with my ramp. Not fancy, but like a spring bloom, spring, uh, spring bloom druid, which is like a harrow on a creature, is just a useful, useful little creature. Um, so is a farhaven elf. Now, Lux, I know you prefer running things like Llanowar elves and elvish mystic. Do you want to run those instead of like druids and and elves, or what do you think? I think what we have is fine. Okay. So, um, I, yeah, because I like putting extra lands into play if I can. And I think those two help us do that. Um, I think a really good mutate target is Koski. I think Koski, Bearer of Secrets, I think is hilarious and really ought to be like you, if you can mutate some of your things onto it, you're going to get a lot of value because it's hard to remove. Toski once it is in play. So I think Toski is a good one. Uh, I also, if I'm in, if I'm in these colors, Lux, and it might be a little more expensive card. You may not want it, but what about an Underrealm Lich? You definitely put one of those in there. Yeah. So I mean, it's it is a little more expensive here. We're talking like it's a nine dollar card, a little more pricey, but I do think at the end of the day, you're going to be looking for it. All right. Um, a few other things to round out. I mean, you're putting you're putting milling cards, right? Sir Conrad's got to go in. That's the same. That's a yep. Conrad. Um, what about uh, Pelucranos? I think Pelucranos has got what it takes. Yep. So we're gonna play uh, new Pelucranos from Theros Beyond Death. Pelucranos Unchained, and not Pelucranos World Eater. Um, I don't think World Eater is quite what we're looking to do in this deck. Uh, old Stick Fingers is a good one. Right? Yep, Old Stick Fingers. The nice part is only a 35 cent card. Um, Mulder Hulk, I think, is another just, just, good, just good card. Um, and we're getting... Oh, Dead Bridge. What about a Dead Bridge Goliath, Lux? So, if you're going to mill things into your graveyard... You might be looking for something like a Deadbridge Goliath that you can scavenge things off of it and then, you know. But on top of it, it's a format of 5 5, which that's a pretty big body, frankly. They definitely put one of those in there. We, have a reclam we need a Reclamation Sage just for value. Reclamation Sage. And is there anything else, I think? Am I forgetting something here, Lux? Not that I can think oh, of. I, oh, no, no, I remember what we were talking about before. Something, oh, okay. What would be... Okay, so right now, none of the ways you have presented here like ways that your deck is going to win through creature combat on a regular basis. So if we're going to win through creature combat, we need to do something more. And we need to... Uh, yeah, we need to do something more. So 
one of those ways is through artifacts. And we're, we are in white, so do we want to go down the route of a Stoneforge mystic? Yeah. Yeah, you're like, ah, yeah. Yeah, Stoneforge mystic. Okay. We'll put a Stoneforge mystic in the list. Okay, now, folks, I'm going to be very honest. We don't usually put Stoneforge mystic in this list um, because Stoneforge mystic is $48. That's like half the value of one of our decks. But you know what? We're going to do it tonight for Lux because Lux wanted to play one and he's got one and he want to put wants to put it in a deck so sometimes you just do it however if you're a budget conscious player there are some options that we'll talk about in a little bit for uh replacing a stoneforge mystic all right so i think that's all the creatures that's 26 oh is that all the creatures we want to run oh i missed i think i might oh you know what's another one that might be fun Embodiment of Agonies, which is one I don't see very frequently. I think it might be a fun card. You know what this one does? Mm. Oh, it's a three-mana demon with flying and death touch. An Embodiment of Agonies enters the battlefield with a plus one plus a counter on it for each different mana cost among non-land cards in your graveyard. So if you give uh, like a whole bunch of weird casting costs to things in your graveyard because you've milled a lot of stuff in... Your embodiment of agonies could be an easy like an easy three mana five five or a six six. So kind of like pretty okay with it. And then it becomes an interesting target to mutate onto because it's already got death touch and flying. So I kinda like it. So Alright. I think we move on to some artifacts, Lux. Because we talked about Stoneforge Mystic. Yep. Okay, what artifacts are we going to tutor up with your Stoneforge? Yeah, well, they, they got things like and Lightning Greaves and Helm of the Host, Altar of Dementia. Well, okay, so remember, um, you can only go get artifacts that are equipment with Stoneforge. So Helm of the Host and Lightning Greaves are, are two dynamite options. Are there any other any other equipment that you think that you think you really want? Like, Greaves makes sense you want to protect your commander. Uh, Helm of the Host makes sense because this is how you generate... A wild amount of value. Are there other things that we want to, like any other equipment you want to run in? And we have Cliffhaven Kite Sail. Cliffhaven Kite Sail. That's a good one. Tell, look, why? Yeah, why make her, Why would you? Why would people want to run Cliff, Cliff, Cliffhaven Kite Sail? Well, and they, I went into this deck list and uh, thinking that, hey. What if they, I mean, Deathway, much more difficult to block by giving it playing? Yeah, seems good. And I think of all the options, I think Kite Sail here is the best option because it auto-equips. Like, it comes in, it auto-equips, you don't have to spend any extra mana on it. And that's that's a big game. Like, that's a big boon. And at one mana, like, if you have one lonely mana left over, you can, like, you can play it and slam it on something and go to work so i happen to say i think you're onto something there for sure all right uh what other let's see okay so we need a sol ring pretty sure right sol ring that's yep. not that's not rocket science we need a sol ring we need an arcane signet arcane signet we're gonna play a abzan banner and indasa what's the indasa what's it called indasa crystal yeah, Endotha Crystal. Yep. 
So those are some some sources of ramp. Um, all right, so I think that's an interesting way of going about it. All right, let's go over and look at some instance. All right, so, um, okay, we could go really expensive, but I don't think we really want to because like our deck's already at 125 bucks, and we haven't done much. <laughs> so, um, so let's talk about some removal. So we're in black and white. We can play Mortify. Seems good. Really hard to argue. Really yep. hard to argue with Mortify because it kills enchantments, kills creatures. Good card. Um, what about Mythos of Nethroi? That seems pretty good too. Yeah. Destroying and non-land. Yeah, it just it just it just destroys non-land permanents, which I think seems good. Um, so yeah, uh, let's talk about like a Putrefy. Like some good old fashioned like fair magic there. Putrefy. And like it's just a useful card, destroys an artifact or a creature. So problematic artifacts can just get whacked. Uh, D Spark is another very effect efficient one. Yeah, that's one of my favorites yeah. right there. Death Sprout is one of my favorites. I like Death Sprout because it's it doubles as a mana ramp spell. And so four mana kill and then go get a land. Like, yes, please. Seems good to me. Um, I also like Abzan Charm. I like Abzan Charm because Abzan Charm gives you some flexibility. Not a great card, but like you can exile a powerful creature, but sometimes you just need to draw cards or distribute plus one plus one counters on stuff. So I think that's an option for sure. Um, what else are we missing? Oh, we're missing a few other things. So Malakir Rebirth. I think is one that I thought I picked out as being something that was really per pertinent in this deck, a way to protect um, your stuff. Because this deck, I think, Lux gets really hamstrung by having your deck get wrecked by board wipes. Would you agree? Because yeah. like, like this is it's, this deck is very heavily predicated on creatures. If you don't have enough creatures on the battlefield to mutate onto, your deck sort of falls apart. So you need to at least be able to protect something or turn it into play. To that end, um, lots of people play, want to play um, Fairy's uh, Protection. I think we're going to put Semester's End in the deck, which is a card from Strixhaven that people often forget about. So um, exile any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers you control. At the beginning of the next end step, return each of them to the battlefield under its owner's control. Each of them enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it if it's a creature and an additional loyalty counter on it as a planeswalker. Okay, that to me is like they're going to try and mess with your board and they all blink out and come back. Which I think is a useful piece of protection that you may need. It doesn't protect you from stuff, but it certainly does a, does a number on making sure that your stuff doesn't get wrecked. Thoughts, Lux? It definitely seems like you would have a home here at the yeah. stack. And then I think we're going to play something like a Harrow go and sort of round out your, your instance to go and make sure you have enough land. Let's look at your... Uh, let's look at some... Uh, oh, yeah. Let's look at some sorceries. I think this is where this sort of deck is going to make, sort of make or break itself. 
So, all right. So, we need to go and, and spice this up a little bit. So, what are some cool sorceries that we can run in these color combos? When, when they, considering that they, you want to have some way of and being able to fill your graveyard, you have Gerard's Orders. Gerard's Orders, yeah. Well, a, so, Gerard's Orders is interesting because it's not just fills your graveyard, but it's also a tutor. So, it tutors up one half of a combo, perhaps. But more important, I think it's just like because it tutors you two powerful things. You dump one in your bin, you go and put one in your hand. And I think that's pretty useful. And it's only $1.99. So it's not like it's going to break the bank. Um, similar to that vein, we have Final Parting, which I think is another good one, too. Final Parting does the same sort of thing in your hand and one in your graveyard, right? First library for two cards, put one of them in your hand and the other in yep. your graveyard, then shuffle your library. And the terrible thing is that Gerard's Order is, is a rare and Final Parting is a uncommon. Anyway, what do I know? Um, Alright, so Painful Truths. In any three-color deck running black, I run Painful Truths. The three mana for three cards seems good to me. Any arguments there, Lux? No, didn't think so. Okay. Um, what about Umburial Rights? Do you think Umburial Rights goes in this deck? Okay. Yep. <laughs> Lux is like, yes, please. Umburial Rights. I can pipe. Umburial Rights. Okay. Umburial Rights, Rampant Growth. Because, you know, Ramp. Read the Bones. I think Raise the Bones is pretty good in this sort of deck. What about Winding Way? Have you played much Winding Way in your time? Um, actually, I have not. And a sorcery. Choose creature or land. Reveal the top four cards of your library. Put all cards of the chosen type revealed this way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. So if you need a land, you go cast it, look, for, look at four, and you dump anything else in your graveyard. So I, th I think that's kind of what this deck wants to do. Say the least. Winding way. All right, now. Balaged recovery. Balaged recovery. Because this card is not regrowth, because it's double-sided. So, But it's more expensive than regrowth if you go try and cast it as the regrowth half. Do we want it? Okay. Definitely we do. All right, there we go. Uh, and we have, how about a Cleansing Nova? Get a board wipe. Considering we don't want tons of board wipes in this deck because our, you know, we don't want to lose too much of our board state, I do think we need some sort of... I think Cleansing Nova makes a good option because it also destroys artifacts and, crit and enchantments that can be a real problem for everybody. Um, what about Cultivate... Cultivate. Oh, a new card. Dig up. Cleave on it, which is another code for we're going to go and tutor for things. <laughs> so, all right. So, dig up. Farseek. I don't think I... Farseek's always another one when you have three colors. Farseek. Uh, I'm just going to run off a list that I've written for us. Okay, Lux. 
Big question for you. Eerie Ultimatum. Big payoff for being in this uh, in this color combination. Yes, please. Yes, please. Oh, yes, ma'am. I have some more. All right. Um, we're dabbling in the gray yards, so I think Nissa of Shadow Bows is is uh, a good inclusion, right? Okay. Yep. And then we've got a few enchantments, I think, before we move on to land. Okay. What are there any enchantments that you want to run that you think are, are are pretty potent in this sort of deck? I can get to them. Yeah, I know. The, the list makes it a little cumbersome, I know. Because I think, I, I don't think this is the sort of deck that needs a ton of enchantments because your creatures are sort of filling that void. But what do you think, so, or Lux? Yeah. Yeah. Like one that definitely like, works into the theme of the deck is Dead, Dead Bridge, Bridge Chant. Chant. Yeah, you're right. I think that's a, that's a powerful one to mill a whole bunch, put a whole bunch of creature cards in your graveyard. That'd be pretty good. Um, I think Binding of the Old Gods is kind of an interesting take on it. Oh, no, Binding the Old Gods. Binding the Old Gods, and I think the Mending of Dominaria is powerful too. Mending of Dominaria. Um, okay, what about Phyresis? Well, with that one, there's only one card in this deck that that's meant for, and it's the big man himself, making him even more disgusting. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Um, although that said, you could put it, slap it on on something of a, of a reasonable size, like a Golgari Grave Troll, or maybe your Embodiment is of Agony, but yeah, no, I tend to think that this is, Phyresis is the sort of card that slips in your deck, and you usually kill somebody and knock them out of the game. I think your deck needs um, a few other win cons, or at least, at least one more, because right now I see a lot of creatures that are meh, of medium, medium power, and you're kind of hoping that you can sort of leverage them to victory, but I think we might need some help. So I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking, what about an Altar of Dementia, which I think is kind of an interesting um, inclusion in this sort of list. Because of the fact that it ends up being um, a way to mill out opponents, but also stock your yard again so that Nethroid can be uh, re-triggered. Hold on a second, Lux. i got to talk to someone here. Hold on. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Thank you. All right. So our friend Nethroid is getting close to being done. I think an Alter Dementia is actually a really good inclusion um, because it just ends up burying your opponent in mill and less stocks your yard again for Nethroid. So, Okay. And then I think all we have left, I think, are lands, right? So let's find some nice budget lands. Um, so Baron Moor, Tranquil Thicket, uh, and then what's the white one? The white one is called. Oh, I'm losing my mind. Secluded Step. I like all these lands, Lux, because they all um, can be cycled. Makes them particularly interesting. So if you if you're short cards and need to draw, 
Thoughts? Do you like? Do you like them? Do you don't like them? I mean, they come into play tapped, so they're not great. But I like them for the virtue of the fact you can draw with them if you need to. Even with this pillar combination, like the card draw is something that it's missing. Uh, you don't have a ton. Um, so you're running like let's see how you're drawing cards in this deck. You're getting some card draw out of your um any creatures that are helping you draw cards? Not really. Nissa's gonna let Nissa's kinda like card draw because it's getting you things back out of your yard, but that's not really the same. Final parting and Gerard's orders are tutors, so they're not really. Eerie Ultimatum is often making up for the fact your stuff is all dead. I'm pulling it back out. Painful Truths, Read the Bones, are really your only real ways to to draw more cards. Um, Abzan, the Abzan Banner, and the Indatha Crystal can be can be used to draw cards. One's a cycle, one a sack. Um, your, your what else is there drawing you cards? That is not I'm not seeing right now. Oh, there was something I'm I'm, uh, I'm drawing a blank here, but there, there's a few more things. Not, there's not a lot though. You're right, is there? So that's what dis- nope. that's one part we may have. This deck may have to look at. Temple of Silence. Temple of Silence, and then Temple of Plenty. I like the temples for the Scry because they can actually smooth things over quite a bit with uh, if you don't have a lot of cards. Um, I want Thriving Grove. And then I want Thriving Moor. Which are the cards? These are cards from Commander Legends, I think. Which I think are like, these are interesting budget friendly lands because you can name the other color on the other half that you want it to be. So, um, so for instance, Thriving Grove says um, choose a color other than green. Add green and or, uh, or or one mana of the chosen color. So if you need black or you need red, you can get that off your thriving. So you can make sure you meet your mana demands uh, in your deck. Um, we play land or you say caves of Coilos. I think these are probably the the most budget friendly lands that come into play untapped. We play land or wastes, land or wastes. Um, what about Sandstep Citadel? That's a Citadel. Exotic Orchard. What is that? Probably in a late run, that too. Yeah, and like Sandstep Citadel and... Uh, yeah, I think Exotic, run exotic Orchard run. Oh, Dakmore Salvage is interesting, because you can dredge it. I think that's an interesting one. I haven't seen that one in a while. Canopy Vista? And I think after that, we're just running... Uh, basics, I think. Oh, how high for command tower? Command tower. Command tower. The Jukabog. Mm. I'm just going off a list here, folks, of like cards that we sort of brainstormed that might be good inclusions. Like, you can't go wrong with a Bajukabog because you never know. You never know when you need to zap someone's yard. Um. So yeah, we'll just I'll just finish this out here with a bunch of basics and move it on. So we've got, uh, let's just make sure I didn't miss anything here. I think I got it all. Yeah. Oh, an Evolving Wilds. All right, anyway, Lux, what do you think of your deck? I think we have something solid right here. I think it's, it's, not, it's not 
crazy. Um, and it's pretty fair. Like, we're not doing anything broken out of out of our out of our minds, are we? And obviously not, because like I said, I'm not looking for something that's completely broken. They would just completely like like make no, and that's my not, yeah, be dead that's, on not, that's never been our our style here on the show. Um, but this looks like a fun way to play. Um, it's a little bit little pricier. I mean, not gonna lie, folks. Um, it's a little pricey. It's 182 bucks right now. All right, so it's a little pricier than what we normally would do on the show. But um, let's be remind, mindful of that 50, almost 50 bucks. Of that's wrapped up in your Stoneforge Mystic. So if you're looking to run something other than Stoneforge Mystic, you can do something like um, something like Quest for the Holy Relic or Relic Seeker. I think both of those cards would be um, suitable budget options, considering how expensive Stoneforge Mystic is. But I mean, I can appreciate if you have one floating around in your stuff, you're going to want to play it. All right, so anyway, that's our deck. Um, it'll be go right in the show notes there, folks, so you guys can see walk along with us as we brew things to put things together. Um, I just think it looks like a pretty like it's got a plan, doesn't it? It's got definitely got a coherent plan what you're looking to do. And I, I mean, is it? You're right. It's ultimately very fair as far as decks go, and that's not a bad thing. I think when we were to sit down with this deck, I don't think anybody would be embarrassed to play this. Um, and it would be kind of interesting. What do you think is the most interesting card? Not the best card, but the most interesting card in this list. Honestly, like if I had to guess, I'm probably gonna have to you know, say that. And then, and it's definitely the. And, what do I think? Where is it? The, I lost track of it. The, there's a lot of upside potentially with that one. There could also be a lot of with that as well. But, you know, I think it's worth trying it out. And I think that might be a flex spot where you could switch it out and put in something else. For me, I think the most interesting card in this list is actually Eerie Ultimatum, where that could be a really, really potent way to rebound from a board wipe. Um, yeah, I think that could be a really powerful way for you to bounce back from a board wipe and then resume applying pressure to your opponents. Yeah. So I think, I think there's something to that as well. Anyway, I think it's an interesting, an interesting option, a really, a really interesting way of us for to do it together, and sort of brainstorm it and like think about what we wanted, to, what we would want to do together in, with a deck. I like it. I like it. All right. Yep. So should we move to sign out there, Lux? Is it starting to get a little late for everybody, and we should wrap up our show. So, folks, yep. um, before before we get out of here, um, yep. we do have that giveaway. So this is how you enter. All right. So you have until January 28th, all right? So it gives you about two weeks, a little bit more, to get your name into the into the into the draw. The winner is going to be announced on the week the show the week of January 31st. Uh, so the way you do it is when the, the show goes live and I post it to Twitter. You need to like, retweet, and then use the hashtag hashtag #EpicExpCast. That is how we're going to find your entry and put it into our draw. All right, so like. Retweet, and then hashtag it so that we can find your your entry. All right? Simple enough. And that's how you get your name entered into win a pack of Time Spiral Remastered. All right? So that's going to wrap up this week's show. Um, Want to uh, thank everybody for sticking with us through all of that, including our brewing of a deck. If you want us to leave, want to leave us some feedback on social media, you can always email us at theepicexperimentpodcast at gmail.com. 
All right, that's, we'd love to get email. We'd love to get some more. Um, we haven't had very much in a while. So please, please, please uh, let us know what you like about the show, what you don't like, what you want to see changed, uh, any suggestions, any deck lists. We would love to talk about your deck lists instead of our own. So come on, folks, help us out. Hit us with some, some, some hot spice so we can talk about it with, with everybody and uh, give you our opinions and stuff on, on maybe what we can all learn from it. Uh, if you like our, and you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can find us at, at Epic EXP Cast. That is our Twitter handle. Uh, and you can check out all of our decks on mockshield.com at the Epic Experiment Podcast at gmail.com. Sorry, that's not true. Just the Epic Experiment Podcast. My mistake. Um, as always, on any, on any of the platforms that you can find our show, uh, wherever you get better podcasts, uh, you can um, like, follow, subscribe, leave a comment. Every little bit helps get the word out there that we are here talking Commander for you each every week. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking Brawl with Sona. So if you like to talk about Brawl, and particularly um, I've been excited for uh, Historic Brawl recently, and so we, I might have a few ideas on what to uh, talk about. Uh, Lux, have you had a chance to, to, to dabble with some Brawl recently? And honestly, I have not. Tonight. There hasn't really been much in-store play. Yeah, I suppose late. that's true, huh? Anyway, um, well, um, fortunately for me, I can do it on Arena. Yeah. So there we go. But uh, you know, lots of fun to be had with Brawls. We're talking with Stoner next week. Um, but that is, of course, for next week. Until then... This is the Epic Experiment Podcast, signing off, wishing you all the best wherever you next play Magic. Thanks very much, everybody. Take care. Have a great week. We'll talk to you then. Stay safe, stay healthy. Peace.